Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. My guest today is Steve Greenfield. Steve is a Green, and he's run in um, many elections in uh, the New Paltz, New York area. And he's going to talk today about the spoiler effect and how that's kind of like a disingenuous phrase. So, Steve, um, what's your political plans? Do you, do you have any yet? Uh, it's or still do you not want to say? I'm, I'm in conversations with people, and I may have something to discuss in public, you know, within the next two weeks, I would say, whichever way it's going to go. But, the, um, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of discussing things with people, um, you know, that uh, – that have good input on this question uh, from from across the political spectrum. So I'm still uh, in the deliberation stage right now. Um, you're breaking up, so can you move to another room or, or another part of your house where you might not break up? Uh, okay. How are we doing over here? That's better right there. That's okay. better right there. So I'll just uh, stick right here. You- yeah, you've run as a green all the time that you've been in politics, and everybody, you know, when they think about the Green Party, when they think about Greens, they think of what happened in Florida in 2000 with Ralph Nader, and you know, they blame Nader for the um, loss that Gore faced, and so tell us, from your perspective, being a green. Tell us about what you think this spoiler effect means and, um, you know, your feelings about it. Well, let's talk about the actual spoiler effect, because as you said at the beginning when you were introducing our topic today, that term as it's conventionally used, as it's, um, you know, let's be more specific, it's conventionally used by Democrats, because Republicans never use that term. Uh, It's conventionally used by Democrats to create the impression in people's minds that um, that the, the, the liberal part of the American political spectrum in its own left to right course um, somehow is a zero sum game has a fixed number of votes and that anybody who enters it by definition uh, is detracting, subtracting votes that would be available to some other person somewhere else along that curve. And that is just flat out false. I mean, that's, you know, that's, <laughs> there's no argument to be made to that. Let's get to down to some actual numbers. Okay. There are currently 210 million Americans over the age of 18, but only 130 million of them vote in presidential elections and far lower proportions of them vote in other kinds of elections. I mean, presidential elections is where we max out on voter interest. And so, you know, if you take that um, 130 million and split it roughly in half, which is reasonable, right? You know, Trump got 63 million, Hillary got 66 million. That's, it's reasonable to pretty much split that down the middle. And you can see that there are 15 million more people not voting in, in our most popular elections than there are voting for either of the two major party candidates. So if there is a thing that 
we can properly call the spoiler effect, I think it would be more properly applied to the kind of politics that are engaged in by the Democrats and the Republicans that create a situation where there is a significantly higher proportion of Americans not voting at all than are voting uh, for either of the two major parties. And because what, what that's actually doing is that's spoiling democracy itself. You know, so there's your spoiler effect. If, you're, if somebody has to use that term. But then again, let's look at those numbers again and look at them in a different light. If somebody does run outside of the two major parties, that means that there are, at the bare minimum, 80 million eligible voters. 15 million more than for either of the two major parties that could potentially vote for that independent candidate. And so, again, if you want to use that effect, uh, the, the term spoiler effect, it would be, well, isn't the, you know, three or four billion dollars being spent over the course of the election cycle to convince people to keep their voting attention only on the two major parties? that we know are not suitable to more Americans than they are suitable for. Um, isn't that the spoiler effect that people are actually spending several billion dollars in an election cycle to persuade people to do one specific thing, which is don't vote your conscience, vote for someone who's electable, vote for someone who has a lot of money, vote for someone who's on TV all the time, on the, on the for-profit media, but whatever you do, don't vote your conscience, because here's another thing we never discuss. Out of those roughly 65 million apiece that are voting for the two major parties, an enormous proportion of them, I mean, I would argue that more than half of them are doing so, as they say, while holding their noses, because they, they're casting a lesser evil vote, right? I mean, many, many millions of people voted for Hillary Clinton uh, last time around, even though they didn't support very many of her policies and actively opposed many of them, because the alternative was Donald Trump. And there were millions of people on the right um, who voted for Donald Trump because they were afraid of what would happen if Hillary Clinton got to nominate two Supreme Court justices and their prime motive, which is to end uh, abortion being legal, would be pretty much over forever. You know, so they didn't love, they had no love for Donald Trump. They had no, no love for any of the things that he said he was going to do. They didn't love tax cuts to the rich. They didn't, well, they didn't care about draining the swamp. All they cared about was preventing a Democrat from nominating enough Supreme Court justices so that the dream of ending abortion would be, would be over forever. Um, and so if you factor in the nose holders in the two major parties and, and, and acknowledge that on the basis of policy, They'd rather be, much rather be voting for somebody else. We probably end up with only about 20 million, 30 million people that, that support either major party, you know, on the face of it for the policies that they're advocating, um, which is just, I mean, there is the, the, the veil that we hold across the word democracy as we use it in this country, which is clearly the antithesis of democracy. And so if someone is running independently, if they're spoiling anything, they're spoiling that. They're spoiling that we all just default to this dull, uneventful uh, system of elections that very, very few of us actually support. 
the, the word majority is appropriated, right? The winner is the person who gets the majority. Well, in this country, the winner is the person who gets 26% of the vote. I don't know what system of math turns that into a not, – not 26% of the vote, obviously, 51% of the vote, but 26% of people over 18 supporting someone means they win. And, you know, that's just barely half a majority, let alone a majority. So our entire language that we use to discuss our, our elections um, are not words that we apply with their traditional dictionary definitions. They just kind of get into our heads year after year, starting when we're in school. You know, we have a majority election system. We have a majority election system. How many Americans do you think actually know that, that, that people are holding uh, the, the presidency of the United States with, you know, 25% of eligible, the support of only 25% of eligible voters? And even among that 25%, probably only half, probably only 12 or 13% that voted you know, on purpose because they like the candidate as opposed to disliking the other one even more. So mm-hmm. let's let's start from there. Let's start with the like, how did the term spoilings guys or spoiler effect ever come into play? And so let's switch for a okay. second over to yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, right. Let's uh, tell us the history. Right. I want to switch for a second over to that Republicans never use this term. And, and that's a very critical thing to consider. In the most recent election back in 2016, um, approximately 5 million Republicans uh, bailed out on the Republican Party, voted for minor party candidates, most of them for Gary Johnson, uh, who had previously been a moderate Republican and was running on uh, a governor of the state, was running on the Libertarian ticket last time around. And Libertarian votes suddenly went from, you know, a few hundred thousand to five million in a single election cycle. So obviously Mm -hmm. that's where your never Trumper people uh, landed with themselves. There was someone named Evan McMullen. Uh, There was someone named Daryl Castle who was running specifically for the evangelical Christian vote and got several hundred thousand votes. So all told, there were about five million traditional Republican votes that cast votes outside the Republican Party. And to this day, we don't see any Republican pundits in the media saying things like, wow, we sure dodged the spoiler effect bullet. <laughs> Somehow Trump uh-huh. managed to win anyway. And that was, that was pretty much a record. I mean, that was, that was a lot more votes than, than uh, you know, Ralph Nader got 2.9 million votes in, in 2000. Um, you know, uh, candidates other than Donald Trump got votes from Republicans in 2016 and in roughly 5 million. And we also know, by the way, because this one's impossible to count, but since a lot of prominent Republicans did say in the media that due to the critical nature of the immediate situation and to prevent him from becoming president, that they were going to take that extra step and vote for Hillary Clinton. So we know that 5 million Republicans voted for quote unquote spoilers. We know, you know, that, that who knows how many more voted, voted for Hillary to try to make that little extra effort of providing a vote rather than just taking one away to help prevent him. Obviously, the, we can't count those votes because they're just buried in Hillary's overall totals. But focusing on the three uh, candidates that got the never-Trumper votes, um, why don't Republicans ever use 
the word spoiler. Why haven't they spent the last three years saying, we have to make sure that the libertarians can't get on the ballot this year because they came damn close to spoiling the election last time. Okay, this is literally a philosophy and a theory that is, um, that is promoted only by Democrats. And there's a reason for that. The reason that that is only promoted by Democrats is because the Democrats refuse to uh, center in on any particular um, policies or ideology as, as the organizing principle around which their party operates, whereas Republicans um, do practically nothing but. They, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're guns, they're, they're, they're Christianity, um, you know, their, their support for annexation of territory in Israel, um, their support for slashing taxes on very wealthy people, cutting uh, regulations on, on uh, financial operations and, and, um, and pollution and so many other things that they do. You know where they stand, and so you can feel motivated to vote for them, right? They use those those very clear and unambiguous. You know, they're against abortion, whatever else they, right? They they're so clear about this basic package of ideological principles that anyone can say, "That's me. That's how I feel. I generally feel like that." And so the Democrats. Quite the contrary, um, they don't give you anything specific. They literally give you one specific thing, which is the the right to an abortion, you know, uh, reproductive choice. That is that's it. It's one thing. How do they feel about non-defensive war? We don't know. Most of them are for it. Some of them are against it. How do they feel about banking regulation? Some are for it. Some are against it. How do you feel about uh, financing college? Ah, some are for it, some are against it. There's literally nothing. There's nothing you can grab hold to when um, when you're trying to decide to vote for a Democrat and say this is a consistent uh, ideological framework within which I can see myself, even if it's not like 100%, right? Nobody gets 100%. But the Democrats give you nothing. And so, you know, we're not that other package, is, is what they sell, right? They, they convince you that, you know, being pro-gun is bad. They convince you that being anti-abortion is bad. They convince you that, I mean, and they're right. Those things are bad, right? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a progressive person. I think all of those things are bad. But what's ending up happening is that the Democrats not having anything to promote for themselves as the thing by which you could identify yourself as a Democrat and, and want to express that through electing Democrats to office, they run entirely on we're not those other things. And so when somebody like, like Ralph Nader comes along, when someone like me comes along and says, I'm just going to tell you unambiguously what I believe and what I will do if you elect me, I will do these things. And even if I don't have the numbers to get them to pass, you are, can be absolutely certain that I'm going to file this legislation and try to call the chamber's attention to it. Um, that breaks up their whole system. That breaks up their whole system of avoidance on being specific about any policy. And so that's why they use the word spoiler effect. It doesn't mean we're taking votes or potentially taking votes from their own candidates. 
It means we're spoiling their ongoing practice of, of, of believing in nothing, <laughs> of not being able to be pinned down on a single thing except reproductive rights that, that they believe in. Um, if I were in their shoes, I'd call that spoiling too. But, you know, since I'm not in their shoes, I, you know, refer to that literally, just literally as what it is, as that people um, respond to people who are being specific because people do have beliefs and they would like to vote for those beliefs instead of just voting against somebody else's beliefs. Um, and, and, and the reason that that's a really big problem, the reason why that is really a spoiling effect, to, to not have beliefs and to constantly insist that people vote for you exclusively against the other party's beliefs um, is that it's a very low motive appeal. You know, voter turnout is how elections are won. Um, you can see that even at the most local level. Let's use this as an example in Rockland County, the East Ramapo School District, right, which has as a function of its overall population, its, its, its orthodox Jewish population is, you know, very, very small, probably only about 10%. Everyone talks about their unbelievable power to control this school district. But the reason that they have this unbelievable power to control the school district is because their voter turnout is approximately 100%. They're yeah. going to elect the same school board members. They're always going to vote no on the budget. Right? They're always going to vote for candidates that are a slate that are running on their priorities to, to not support the school district so that they could have more money left over for private school. Um, they turn out about 100% and they vote as an unshakable solid block. And so even though they're only about 10% of the population, they win every election. They are exercising democracy. They are motivated. To me, of course, most of those motives are negative motives, but they are a self-interested uh, population, and they are exercising democracy. They're not doing anything corrupt. They're not doing anything under the table. They're just voting. And so what that illustrates is that we have a country that polls keep on showing has a much, more, a much larger percentage of our population that identifies itself somewhere along the range of what people consider the liberal package of issues, um, but Republicans keep winning anyway. And it's because they turn out in higher proportions. And they're turning out in higher proportions because they're voting for things they care about. They're voting for, if I vote for this person these things that I care very much about are likely to actually become law. Whereas when you're voting for Democrats, your motive is if I succeed in electing this person, then it's possible that these other things that I don't like won't become law. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's it. That's it in a nutshell right there. That's the two um, organizing principles of, of the two major parties. And it's very clear over the course of history that one of them works and one of them doesn't. The reason that well, the Democratic Party... Yeah, go ahead. I remember when I had seen you at the uh, Linda in Albany, and you were debating um, Basso and Delgado, and there was another woman there. I forget her name. But Diane at the end Neal. of the debate... Uh, somebody came up to you and said, "Gee, I like what you you said. You, what you said, but you know, uh, 
I'm afraid that Delgado will not win. Okay, so there's a fear element in all this, whereas, you know, if you're in a race or another green is in a race or another third party is in a race, they're going to take away votes from each of the two major candidates. So they're afraid to vote third party because they're afraid that their candidate will not win. Can you address that? Uh, yes. I mean, that's exactly what it is. That is a, 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 a belief that's been drilled into their heads by endless media propaganda. Um, first of all, minor party voting overwhelmingly comes from additional turnout. That's why I started this discussion by talking about how the number of people that can vote but don't vote considerably exceeds the number of people that vote for either major party. Um, There are people who like seeing that there's somebody talking about something different and they'll come out and vote just to acknowledge that. Um, I did some, I did the numbers all across New York state in 2018 of every congressional district and every race that had a minor party candidate running and every race that did not. And it turned out that the, um, the percentage of votes that minor party candidates got, um, corresponded to the number of, of, of people who voted but didn't vote for the position of Congress or, or wrote somebody in across the entire all congressional districts in New York State within a range of 1.5%. The conformity of the minor party vote with the number of people who just don't vote when a minor party candidate isn't available um, was, was close to 100%. There was about a range of a 1.5% disparity in vote totals across every congressional district in New York. So, and, and, and I found this out in my first um, partisan, in my first county legislature race here in Ulster County, where I got what that year amounted to 20.5% of the vote, close to 21% of the vote um, in a race that had Democrats and Republicans in it. And every single vote that I got was accounted for by the increase in turnout from previous elections for that race. And in 2005, two years later, when I wasn't in that race anymore and wasn't a factor, the total votes for the Democrats and Republicans remained what they were. The year that I ran, the Democrats and Republicans got the exact same number of votes they always get, and my 545 votes came from from somewhere else, right, from invisible people. They came out to vote for me. Two years later, I wasn't there. They went back home again. There was no effect. There was no subtraction. There is no subtraction. You can't certify mathematically that subtraction happens when 80 million people don't vote at all. You know, you can't just declare that you know that the missing votes, you know, came from existing voters who, who then chose. It's also very, very um, arrogant to suggest that that's even possible because given what you just said, right, which is, I said, take me in 2018, right? I had a $3,000 budget and, and uh, the major party candidates were running uh, on $15 million budgets, right? And they had voter <laughs> enrollments of, uh, they had voter enrollments of, you know, 150,000 apiece in their respective parties. And I had a voter enrollment of about 900, you know? So the idea that I was, um, you know, going to be a winner in this race, you know, as I used to say to you at the time, you know, is that, 
you know, I'm aggressive and I'm, I'm, you know, very firm in my, in my ideological beliefs, but I'm not delusional. Right. And neither are my voters. Right. Nobody believed, nobody who was voting for me believed that I was going to be elected to Congress. They were voting for some other reason. They were trying to make some other kind of statement. If they were trying to vote for someone likely to win, they would have chosen one of the other two candidates. Um, now, I had people also, the math on my own, on my own race, uh, confirmed by a lot of uh, people who approached me and told me this, but I did two to six times better in the Republican counties in the 19th district than I did in the Democrat counties. So for any, you know, there's absolutely, there's no, there's no tangible evidence, there's no quantifiable evidence, and no philosophical uh, or theoretically demonstrable way to say that anyone is subtracting votes. And what I used to say to the people who came to me, particularly after that WAMC debate, because yes, you know, people did approach me there because of what they saw happening in the way questions were being answered um, and, the, and the response that the audience was providing to those answers. I got deluged with emails um, after that debate of people saying, uh, hey, I'm writing to you because I watched the debate on WAMC, and for the first time, I'm actually worried that you're going to get votes. <laughs> you know, see, because that's wow. the thing that they, having seen someone for the first time who could articulate positions and defend them and not be squishy about it and not really tell you where they stand and what they believe in and what they would do, to, to recognize the appeal that that had. Um, they suddenly felt for the first time that, you know, money and voter enrollment notwithstanding, that this could be appealing to voters. Um, and, and so they made that contact to me. And my response to them and the response that should always be observed by anyone who finds themselves having this question is that if you have that question, if you think that being against non-defensive war is, is a vote getter, if that's your perception, like among people you know or what you read on Facebook, that this is a vote getter. If you believe that single payer health insurance is a vote getter, um, if you believe that agree, you know, an aggressive intervention in fossil fuel consumption is a vote getter, then you're calling the wrong candidate. You have to call the one that you're hoping is going to win and tell that candidate that he needs to try to add voters to his, to his existing base by, you know, adopting some of these positions that you believe are going to attract votes. That's the whole point, you know, and, and uh, historically, of course, the most popular and election-winning president and most legislatively successful president in the history of the United States is and will always be Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who achieved that by adopting in 1932, while he was still a primary candidate, several um, socialist party planks, right? Social Security, minimum wage, the National Labor right. Relations Act uh, to protect uh, union organizing, these, these few planks. This is not um, hard, okay? The, the main function of all of the press and all of the talking about the spoiler effect is to protect Democratic Party candidates from having to adopt policies that challenge corporate supremacy, and it's to pre prevent voters from having an outlet by which they can express that that's what they would really want if they weren't forced to vote lesser evil every election. So, 
you know, that's it in a nutshell. As the spoiler effect is articulated by the Democrats and their pundits and the liberal media, there is no such spoiler effect. It's, it, it doesn't exist mathematically. It doesn't exist ideologically. That it doesn't exist for Republicans should be all the proof anyone needs that this is just a, a, a vote-suppressing piece of propaganda that the Democrats arrived on and remain married to and committed to after all this time because it's, because it's effective, right? You see that. A lot of people believe it, even though they haven't done any math on it themselves, right? They just believe it. It kind of, it sounds true, right? And that's the definition of the word specious. You know, if you look up the word specious in the dictionary, it means something that sounds plausible, except it turns out that it's not. That's, that's how you know you've created a, a, a fully functional piece of propaganda, is that in the absence of mathematical research, if it sounds like it makes sense, then people are going to believe it because who's going to sit around doing math on, you know, 25 election districts in New York state. I mean, sure. An election nerd like me, I'll do it, but the average person isn't going to, well, hold on, let me call up a, you know, 20 or 30 election uh, elections in congressional districts last year and see if the numbers actually hold up to what Rachel Maddow just told me, you know, no one's going to do that. And they know that that's why they keep on articulating this specious mm-hmm. Uh, accusation about a spoiler effect, but again, I will I will take that language and I will say that there actually is a spoiler effect, and the spoiler effect manifests itself in several ways. First of all, it manifests itself in suppressing voter turnout. Right, people just don't care to vote anymore because they fundamentally believe that their interests are not represented by either major party. That no outcome will improve their own lives, and so they just stay home. That's a spoiler effect, right? Because you have spoiled democracy. You have spoiled the interest of the American people in even voting, you know, for how things are going to go. Um, and you're also spoiling uh, people's ability uh, when they are voting to vote for things that they believe in as opposed to against things that they, that they oppose. Um, you know, you spoil democracy itself, you spoil the discourse, um, you spoil the, the rise of uh, self-interest by the populace and substitute for it corporate interest. Everything about the, the use of the term spoiler effect is, is applied to create a spoiler effect. There is no vote subtraction spoiler effect, um, and there never has been, but there is an aggressive spoiler effect perpetrated by the Democratic Party. Um, to keep Main Street from, um, from seeking its interest in the face of, of Wall Street's power. <laughs> That's the spoiler effect. Well, do you think that the Democrats, more than the Republicans, participate in uh, voter suppression? Yes, because the Democrats always challenge progressive minor party uh, petitions to keep you from being able to get on the ballot. Uh, Republicans never challenge libertarian um, petitions. They never challenge the Constitution Party's petitions. Um, the Constitution Party is a, a national, small national party dedicated exclusively to the right-wing Christian agenda. That's their, they call themselves the Constitution Party, but they're really the Evangelical Christian Party. Um, they, the Republicans never go to court and hire millions of dollars worth of lawyers to challenge petitions to keep those two parties off the ballots. Um, and the Democrats go out of their way to challenge every 
single petition. And they frequently succeed because ballot access is a very tricky and challenging process. And so they find, you know, most people don't know this, but in New York State, you could have your petition completely thrown out, even if you have five times as many signatures as you needed to get on the ballot. If your petition is stapled together with a staple instead of with a hole puncher and, and one of those brass brads stuck through the hole, you could have quadruple, right. quintuple the number of signatures you need, and they'll still throw you off the ballot because you used a staple. So people, most people don't even know how many tools are available to suppress ballot access beyond just whether you have enough popularity and enough public support to merit being on the ballot in the first place. It's full of technicalities. So the Dems go after that stuff all the time, specifically to prevent um, progressive-minded voters or Main Street-minded voters from even having a ballot line from which to choose. And so, you know, we hear all the time from Democrats about how uh, Republicans um, commit all kinds of identity-based vote suppression, and that is factually true. Republicans do that. Um, but the Democrats want you to believe that, that, that you know, they are as, as, as white as the driven snow, that they are, you know, sweet poly purebred on this question. When they spend, you know, tens of millions of dollars a year on, on, on election lawyers, um, specifically to keep progressive candidates off the ballot in, in, in entirety. You know, so that's their particular modality of vote suppression. Republicans have one modality, and the Democrats have another modality. And so our battle here as people who want to bring, um, uh, you know, people's, uh, people's interests into the ballot booth, you know, that's the challenge that we face, which is that there is a massive and expensive and organized vote suppression system that expresses itself in, through the Democratic Party in blocking ballot access. I mean, you know, <laughs> what's a greater form of suppression? Being able to stop a few people from voting for someone who's on the ballot or being able to block someone from even being on the ballot in the first place? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's mm-hmm. how our, our uh, that's how our power structure protects itself from the prospect of the people ever being able to um, vote in their own interests. You know, each has their own system of doing it, and we and and most people never get to vote in their own interests. Which brings me back to right where I started, which is that only about 65 million people vote for a president of either major party. Um, during a presidential election year, and over 80 million people don't vote for either of them. Let me so, let me ask you this, this <laughs> final question. You were saying that uh, the Democrats um, go out of their way to suppress the vote through the petition process. Well, at every in every board of elections, there is a Democrat and a Republican commissioner. So. Doesn't the Republican commissioner have to okay the striking of somebody from the ballot if it was deemed okay by the Democrats? I mean, aren't they working hand in hand? Well, they're they're working hand in hand, but you know, as someone who sat through the signature striking process several times, um, there there are signatures over which they disagree. For example, if the signature is just illegible. Um, you know, the, the commissioner that wants you off the ballot might say, well, I can't prove that that's the person whose name is on the registry. It doesn't, it's illegible to me. I don't know that that's the person. 
Whereas the other commissioner might say, well, according to New York state election law, since you can't prove that that's not the person, we can't strike that person's name, right? That's, that's, but there are things that are called fatal defects that they agree on because they have to agree on it because it's a matter of law. Like, for example, if I used a staple, it's not like the Republican, in the hope of keeping me on the ballot, will say, no, that's not really a staple. I mean, it's either a staple or it's not. And so um, there, there, there are other things like, you know, did you put the date next to the name? The date's either there or it's not. So they're going to be in complete agreement because some of this stuff is a function of law. If one of the commissioners were to exceed his or her authority by allowing a signature on that, that, that technically failed to, to meet the admissibility standard, then, then, you know, then the Democrats follow that by taking the matter to court. Uh, so they don't do that. There's much that they, that they agree on that they're required to agree on because it's, it's technically defined in the law as something that either is or isn't on the petition. So yeah, they'll they'll and they need both an agreement to strike a signature, and uh, some portion of the time they disagree, and so the signature stays on. But over the specific technical questions, they they agree, and you lose those pages, you lose those signatures, um, you even can lose the entire petition. Um, you know, over you left out the cover sheet. You know, I see right. a thing that that has five thousand signatures on it. I have to put a cover sheet on it that says. This thing has 5,000 signatures on it. That can yeah. kill the whole petition, even if I actually have 5,000 signatures. And that, by the way, that's not a denial of, of ballot access to me. That's a denial of ballot access to the 5,000 people who signed my petition. That's what I mean by voter suppression. Right. 5,000 people say, I want this person on the ballot. And, and say only 1,000 need to say that in order for the person to be on the ballot. But if you left out the cover sheet that says on top of it, there are 5,000 signatures in this ballot, then a denial of the ballot is issued to those 5,000 people, not to the candidate, but to the people of New York, to those 5,000 people who wanted that candidate on the ballot. And they fulfilled the law, right? They signed their name. They signed their address. They put the date next to their name. They fulfilled their legal obligation to put that person on the ballot, but because I overlooked that I needed to write the number 5,000 on the top of the page, they lose all their rights to a candidacy. So this, mm. is, vo this is voter suppression. Well, Steve, thank you again for another enlightening conversation. Uh, you've been listening to Steve Greenfield, and this is Focus on Albany. If you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Download on your smartphone, subscribe to iTunes if you have a comment about the show, hashtag Focus on Albany. Steve, I look forward to many more conversations with you, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. Thanks very much.